The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. Cross green. Cross. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. <laughs> Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to episode 111 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I'm joined as always by my co-host out in LA, as far away from the bubble as he could possibly be, Zandrick Ellison. Zan, how are you today? Good, I'm excited. We have two game sevens coming up. If you were a super producer, almost every podcast in America plays that Zaza sound clip, but you don't. You don't care. <laughs> Can you do I'm an impression a, of Zaza sound I'm clip? I'm not a soundbite guy. I'm not okay. a soundbite guy. You know I'm not. <laughs> Hate to put you out, but... Um, <laughs> yeah. do, your impression. do your impression. No, I've put you on the spot instead. But uh, no, we have two game sevens. I was surprised we got there, though. Less so in the game tonight. It's, we haven't, it hasn't happened yet, obviously. Denver, Utah... It was 3-1. Jamal Murray shoots them back into it. Yeah. <laughs> he did. He shoots them Amazing. Back. Like, I, it's like, obviously, people are praising them. Like, I don't think they're praising them enough, Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray, how good they've been. Yeah. So, Denver and Utah tied at three. I want to ask you a question. Before we kind of, like, break down how the series got here, just gut feel. You know, earlier you said, like, you liked Utah. Everybody was picking Denver. Like, Utah's banged up, whatever. Who do you want to win? Like, who do you want? The Clippers dispatched Dallas in, in game six, uh, I believe. What was that, Sunday, it feels like? Yeah, Sunday, they beat Dallas. No, no, Monday, they beat Dallas in game six. Porzingis has a meniscus tear, doesn't play the last two games of the series. Marcus Morris gets ejected, last stuff happens. But Clippers advance. Who do you want to see play the Clippers? Would you rather them play Utah, or would you rather them play Denver? Um, that's a good question. I don't know if it matters in the long run. Um, they're both, you know, Good teams, not great teams. I I think the Clippers are the best team, so I think they'll beat either one in like six games. But um, I guess you have to say you want to see Denver at this point just because of, you know, the upside of Jokic and Murray, and then you get to see a little bit of Michael Porter hobbling around the court. He's been... Um, the, the aura of Michael Porter has dipped a bit in the, in the bubble, yeah. I think. In the playoffs, at least. I... <laughs> there you go. There you okay. go. That was on my phone. That's what All I right. think. So um, I uh I don't agree. I think I'd rather see Utah, honestly. I think Well, if go- you believe in Donovan Mitchell as a top ten player, then yes, right? I mean he has that more probably than Jamal Murray. I don't know. All I know is Jamal Murray in so there's been two games since we recorded. So let's why don't we start real quick with game five? Uh Jamal Murray in game five. 17 for 26 of the field, four from eight from three, 42 points. Really puts him away late. Just a, a, a kind of a carbon copy of game one, except it didn't go to overtime. But he just makes every shot down the stretch. They started the game quite fast. Jokic had a really good first quarter. Uh, Jokic, seven made threes. Like, just, you know, they, they played well. But the star is Jamal Murray goes for 42, eight and eight. Donovan Mitchell has a good game in that one. Just a, a, a casual 30. But... Then we go to game six, and I just feel like if we 
cleared the court off and we just had Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray play one-on-one, that we wouldn't be all too different than the viewing experience that we've seen through six games because the shot making at the end of game six was just like flat out incredible. Yeah. I, I Just two of the most impressive just individual performances of shot making like I have seen in a long time. And Murray goes for 50. Jamal it was Murray, amazing. Tough I, shots too. Yeah. I think and like that's what, 44, right? That like a common theme of this episode may be like me just criticizing the TNT guys because like they have so many bad takes for as fun as they are to watch. And so these guys just make these amazing shots and afterwards they're like, this is bad coaching, you know. You got to take the ball out of his hands. I'm like, this guy's hitting like 17 of 24 off balance threes. Like, what are you going to do? I mean, I'll be honest. Give the guy credit. It's not the coach's fault. I don't recall if I, if I, I've been trying to think of like who I think Jamal Murray reminds me of because he's, you know, we joke a lot about like guys being kind of like throwback players, right? Like, oh, he's a throwback. Like he makes mid-range shots, but like Jamal Murray is just about like one of the best like he's just an unbelievable tough shot maker like he's not an amazing athlete but his ability to like create space and get to spots on the floor and now that he's making threes I mean I don't don't know if you have taken a look like a little bit deeper into the series but (laughs) Jamal Murray's played six games he's taken 130 shots take a guess what you think his effective field goal percentages without looking on 130 well, shots effective field goal percentage so it's not true shooting so effective field goal is lower it doesn't would, matter you can pick his true shooting too if you want okay like, well, if you have it so average true shooting 55 56 i say it's 65 percent. no his e field goal percentage is 70 percent, and his true yeah. shooting is 72.8 percent. and then donovan mitchell is at 72.7 percent as a true shooting like true shooting percentage on 135 shot that's like the, the it's offensive, amazing. And it, how many, four 50-point performances between the guys? Mitchell's averaging like 39 a game. Jamal Murray somehow is only averaging like 34 a game. It just feels like he has 50 every time I watch. Like, And I hate that like results-based analysis where it's like, it's like this is bad defense, bad coaching, and you just show a montage of him hitting these like off-balance, leaning away <laughs> threes, and then they go, and spoiler alert, the Houston game, they're like, they're settling for bad shots, you know, the jump shooting team. And then they show clips of them just missing, missing wide, wide open shots. threes. It's like, come on, guys. You have to think a little deeper. I, I think that Jamal Murray, you know, it's, it's funny. Like, we talk about the playoffs, right? And guys get paid and, and you get to, like, start these, like, different narratives because, you know, more people tune in. Although, you know, ratings are dead, apparently. We, we don't know. But I don't know that anybody has done more for, like, their – star power than Jamal Murray's done maybe 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 Luca just because like of his moment but Luca's obviously a big time guy to begin with but like Donovan Mitchell right in it felt like people liked Donovan Mitchell like they liked him big smile the media liked him but like Jamal Murray like we've heard about Jamal Murray and you and I watch a lot of basketball so I'm just talking about this from a pure casual standpoint but he wasn't great in the playoffs last year he had a couple good games he had a big like 50 point performance against Kyrie in the regular season that a lot of people talk about but like I mean, this has been a freaking display for a guy that I think people were like, oh, can he take the next leap? And I'm not saying that, like, he's 100% going to be a superstar, but, like... <laughs> Kenny Smith, but, and not to bust him again, called him, he's taken the leap. He's now a perennial all-star with a grand total of zero all-stars right now. How, how, many, how many guys in the league can do what Jamal Murray has done? No, that's what's so amazing about it, because it's like... 
he had that upside. Like a few years ago, I'm like, this guy I think is going to be the star of the team. Almost yeah, I mean, they gave him scoring ability. They gave the guy a max contract. Like, let's not this is this is not a uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, which I want to talk about a little bit more in depth. Like, this is not a situation of like the Nuggets weren't sure if he was going to be the guy. Like, they they well, we were all hoping, we we're all waiting and waiting for this sort of breakout. But it's if you look at the stats, it's really amazing. Like, this guy is clearly a huge big time shooter, big time scorer, and he's playing. You know. He doesn't. The ball doesn't run through him, but he's playing point guard in a high-scoring league, and he's never averaged at 19 points a game. He's never averaged five assists a game, and then you see that he has this potential. So, like, I don't know what's not adding up well, in the regular season. Part or of it, part of it's that like they run so much offense through right. Jokic, right? So like you don't get as many opportunities to be like a super high usage guy, and like you know you have a series now. He has been. He has used more possessions than Jokic. I talk about this a lot, how hard it is to be a guy that, like, carries the load. And, and Denver having now two guys at a 30% usage rate. And, and like, Jamal Murray, like, he's shooting 50% from three. 57% from three. 91% from the foul line. Like, it is just amazing. He's 12 turnovers in six games, too. Like, it's not like he's having – you know, he's not – I just I just have been so blown away. Like, to me – this is the type of performance that like you see a guy have and you readjust what you think of their team's future because it's right. clear that he's not going to shoot that well like shooting the bubble we have seen for sure is it's up scoring's up like guys like shooting in the same gym they, the the background is blacked out they they compared it a lot to Madison Square Garden on TV which makes sense cuz you can't really you know there's a better depth perception and it's amazing how it's affected guys cuz even Donovan Mitchell like this is not the guy that we've seen for two years. It's well, not. You know kind of not. Jamal Murray reminds me of, of like the flashes of brilliance. And he's still young, obviously. So like, you know, he's 23. So, you know, next, 22. the best is still yet to come theoretically. But like the role he plays, like he, you said, he's not like a true field general, just the way they run their offense. He's not getting to the line very much. And so that tends to lend itself to inefficient players unless they're great shooters. Sure, yeah. and I think he is. And it kind of reminds me of Kyrie Irving in a way, like not that he drives, but like he'll have these 50 point games. He was the guy that came to mind for me as well, just in terms of like a tough shot maker, just like every offensive move in his bag of tricks. Like, cause he's not like, same thing, like Kyrie's a good athlete, right? Like he's an unbelievable ball handler, good athlete, unbelievable finisher at the rim, which Jamal Murray is not, even though, you know, 360 layup in game five was like ridiculous. Like he's got a ton of that stuff, but it is sort of like that where they're both just, like you can play the best defense of your life and it, it just doesn't matter. There's not many guys in the league like that, you know, where you just, there's only a handful. I think. Like it's, it's like, well, and you're right about the long-term upside because they signed him to this max. So if he was just going to be a guy who gets you 18 and four a game and you're paying him over $30 million, then it does limit your overall team upside. But if he can take the step again, not to this level, but like, let's say he's a top 20 player, he could get there. Yeah, I mean, if all of a sudden he's a 25-5-5 and guy, or even just what Donovan Mitchell did this year, which I think was 24-5-5, and like, it's a big difference. I, I feel that way. Who do you think? I think Denver is a slight favorite tonight. I actually have not. Well, you know, I think I, I, the one reason I might be rooting for Utah is because I thought they were going to maybe win the series originally, and so I want to be right, technically. But um, I think I have a good read on this. Like, the reason I thought Utah had a chance is Denver – we talk about all the time had been, you know, embracing sort of the Michael Porter phenomenon 
and he's a good scorer, but you've mentioned all the time, like his defense is just not even close to where he needs to be. He was, he was so bad. Stan Van Gundy was berating him on Saturday during game five. It was really bad, I thought. Well, he just looks so stiff defensively. And like, you know, he had back problems and he's kind of tall and lanky. And, and he's not like, he looks like really tall and like angular, like like the letter I. You know, he's not like long. I, maybe he is wingspan wise, but like he doesn't look like he has long shoulders or anything. And he's like lumbers around in defense and like, you know, like a good NFL cornerback, cornerback on defense. Like they need that change of direction ability. And he like doesn't have that at all. And he's just getting like a turnstile. And I thought like playing him and starting him and playing him 30 minutes a night was going to be their downfall. But they kind of realized that and they've been like marginalizing him and their team has been playing better now. And it's really turned the tide in the series. Yeah, I think that's been a really good adjustment from Mike Malone. And and again, I, I think like... Utah is a one-point favorite tonight, which it's pretty close to a pick Like, I, this is not a series where I think anybody has like an inherent advantage. Well, why does. do you think Utah's favorite? Because I think Denver was, you know, record-wise slightly better this year. You know, Utah's still without Bogdanovich, so because I think the Denver's they, probably a better in, team. In the games that they've won, they've needed somebody to score fifty points for them. That's true. Like, and not that not that Utah doesn't need Donovan Mitchell, who is leading the playoffs and scoring at just under 40 a game like that they don't need that but I think that it's probably more realistic to to think that Jamal Murray this is this is going to sound like just the dumbest analysis of all time so you know I, I just want to preface it by saying like it just seems more likely that Jamal Murray is going to miss tough shots than yeah. and, and Utah is good defensively right so like for for me I think I I like Denver very slightly tonight i think i'm i don't i don't feel like i'm gonna it's a coin flip but i think it's really close and i think this is a coin flip series where it's like if you flipped a coin a hundred times it wouldn't go heads tails heads tails it would go you know heads 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 tails heads tails 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 you know and that's what it is i just feel like it's more likely to see a good game from Jokic and jamal murray and like obviously utah has mike conley's been great since he's been back shooting 60 percent from three like He's just made open shots. He, he's really caused problems on the offensive end for Denver, I think, adjusting. But I, I just don't know that, like, I'm super confident that if this game plays into the 120s that Utah can get there. And I think that that's just because, like, here's the one other thing that we know, and this will be a factor, obviously, in the Rockets and Oklahoma City series, which we'll talk about next. But teams shoot worse in Game 7. Like, the, the, the three-point shooting percentage of Game 7 is, like, in the history, which – I think I actually only saw it for the last 20 years. It was like 34%, which is wow. down like 3 or 4% from game six, which is right around like 37 or 38%. So I, I'm not saying – there is no statistical analysis that you can do for this specific situation in the bubble. It's different, right? It's, it's not something that you can just like say like, oh, because of this, I'm going to decide to pick a team this way because we've never seen it before. But at the same time, I would I would caution against thinking that we're going to see another like – old west style shootout where mitchell and murray both score 50 apiece and i i like denver a little bit better if that doesn't happen probably that makes sense i had a question about you know mentality and body language yeah so after the game you know there's a clip of gobert smashing a chair he's fighting about honley about something switch and then after this game after the loss like donovan mitchell went to the you know kicked some chairs and looked really dejected and in the interview after he could barely like finish questions he and they asked him if he was down he's like i'm just mad they looked like emotionally spent and i know it's like they you know they had the chance to close it out and they didn't 
does that to you mean like this is a team that's very confident and they're going to come in with rage or they're going to a team that feels like they blew their chance? Yeah. I don't want to speak for anybody, but I do like having Donovan Mitchell because I do think he is a positive, like mentally tough dude. I, Rudy obviously has his kind of side to him that we've seen before, like crying in the car and like creating distracts and stuff. But I, I think that one of the things that's important is having a guy who's going to take a lot of shots who you feel comfortable in. And like, I, I just feel very good about Donovan Mitchell right now and how he's playing. And I just think that Mike Conley, like they have these vets that have been in these situations. Like Mike Conley's played a ton of playoff basketball. Jordan Clarkson, like that guy probably doesn't even know it's game seven. Like he just knows he wants to score the basketball. So like, I just feel like, yeah, mindset is important. And, and maybe, but like, why is there pressure on Utah? I know like they were up three, one, but like, they're the underdogs in the series, right? Like they, they were the sixth seed. Like they're the one playing without one of their better players. Like, is there more pressure on Utah than there is on Denver just because they were up three, one? I think, so. well, the three, one in mind, be- right? Both, both team. Well, embarrassing, but like both teams are packing their bags, right. And taking them to the game because you're immediately leaving if you lose. So both teams like are in MTV that challenge. That's yeah, exactly. Or it was like that at the NCAA tournament too. Like you always <laughs> brought your bags with you and then like you got, and, and sometimes you're allowed to leave in the hotel, but in this sense, so each team is, each team is doing that. I, I mean, the scenario is quite similar, right? Like whoever loses, it, I mean, it really truly is win or go home. And and I think like, that's why I would, I would caution on like trying to really buy into any sort of form of pressure for these two teams, as opposed to maybe in the next series, because like Mike Malone's not getting fired, right? Quinn Snyder's not getting fired. No GMs are losing their job. Like there, there isn't like a lot of outside pressure other than the fact you just want to win you're competitive so I would expect that this game would be much cleaner to me like I think we're going to see a very good game on Tuesday night which is tonight we're recording now yeah it's so hard to pick it I mean if you have a real strong opinion about this game you're probably lying but I think I agree with that you're right about the idea you expect uglier play you expect less shot making just like statistically no one's going to shoot that well again hopefully I mean, maybe not. Hopefully, hopefully they do. That would be amazing, but I wouldn't count on it. Um, yeah, and and there's this idea that because Denver's the three seed, that they, you know, should be favored, but they they you know, or a game and a half better than Utah in the regular season. And the advanced stats said they were like dead even. So it's like two very even teams giving us what yeah. we expect. Guys, did someone say playoffs? NBA and NHL are in full swing, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Get in on all the action, including a new NBA playoff bracket contest that gives you more chances to win. Major League Baseball continues to push through the summer, and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action, as Bet Online has hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Please take advantage of every sport, and remember our casino never closes. It's always there for you to check out and enjoy. Head to the website today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. If you go to bet online, don't forget the promo code P-O-D-C-A-S-T-O-N-E. That is podcast one for your sign-up bonus. That is bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And and again, that's that's why like this is super fun. And and so let's talk about Oklahoma City and, and Houston because yeah, that two also, teams with identical records this regular right. season. Right. And a, a situation where we're gonna get a game seven, uh, game five. I want to talk about a couple of things in game five, right? So Russ comes back, looks relatively normal in game five, doesn't shoot the ball great, but like I think he had seven rebounds, seven assists. And then we had this debacle, right, in the in the third quarter. And I kind of want to talk about this for like a quick second because I'm curious as to your opinion on this. But so P.J. Tucker sets a screen at the top of the key. Dennis Schroeder runs through the screen. 
live, it just looked like P.J. Tucker hip-checked him, right? And Billy Donovan doubled down on this, that it was like an illegal screen, and he thought the ref shouldn't have thrown Schroeder out. Okay. We go slow-mo. We see that Schroeder leads with his fist right into P.J. Tucker's groin area, and uh, P.J. Tucker pops up and kind of like puts his – they called it a headbutt, but like let's be honest, this wasn't like Zinedine Zidane. Like he didn't like walk up and like smash his head into him. They both get thrown out. They both get fined 25000 Houston just rolls. They went by 30. Like, game wasn't close after Shooter was gone. Do you feel like – I don't even want to sound like a homer here, but, like, if you're able to just, like, hit somebody in the groin, like, lead with your fist and, like, you don't get suspended in the playoffs, like, what, where is the line here that, like, you, you can, like, cheap shot? Because I know that – obviously, Houston was furious about, like, the Chris Paul elbow to Ben McLemore in game three – Chris Paul has a history. Dennis Schroeder has a history of this stuff. Chris Paul pushed off P.J. Tucker with an elbow in game six that also was around his groin area. That one I thought was unintentional. But, like, do you think Dennis Schroeder should have played in game six? Like, is there what, where do we stand on the fact that, like, he acted like it was unintentional. But, like, I mean, what did you think about that play? I don't know. I mean, like, I don't like the idea of, like, refs calling games differently in the playoffs or in the last few minutes or calling games differently because they're stars. Agreed. At the same time, let me take all that back. I, like, I still feel like it's the playoffs. I think they're, you know, I don't mind this. I, I didn't think Marcus Morris should have been thrown out as crazy as that sounds. Of Luka yeah, that, was, that was more, I think, that Morris had like another foul like that in right. the series. And I think the rest were just like, look, man, like you can foul guys hard. It's the playoffs. But like, you can't just like hit somebody in the face because he's like torching you, you know, like that was really weird. I, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like fights in hockey. It's like, let's clean it up. But like, everyone loves it. Everyone loves fights. I, I just thought the not shooter, injury, like not into like Marcus Morris did have that thing where he may have tried to injure Luka Doncic. That's not cool. Yeah. Hostile like, act. Hard, is what, foul, hard foul, whacking somebody on the way to the rim. I like that. I, I just thought that, I thought that Dennis Schroeder lost his head in a situation where the series was like very much in the balance. And he's very fortunate to me that they, they came back and won game six because they need him. And he didn't play particularly well in game six, but like they need that guy to score. Like he has to score. And so for him to get thrown out in that situation and to do something what I, that I thought was like so blatantly selfish for himself because he was angry. Like, I just think like that type of play more than anything has no place in basketball because like people like guys cheap shot each other. Like guys are dirty. There is a difference. Like Marcus Morris, let's say quote unquote dirty player. I think he probably is like, he's doing it intentionally. Chippy. Chippy. That's, that's what people call good players who are dirty. Chris Paul is chippy, not dirty. Yeah. Or John Stockton or even Draymond. Like, yeah, Draymond chippy for sure. But I like that because they, they serve a role. And I think it's like, I like when teams have the sort of like the tough guy, chippy guy on the team and then there's some guys who are just like dummies or yeah like schroeder's just, schroeder's just insane like that guy's just a more like he, he's i mean damn like he's been good he's been like trick or treat you know when bill simmons used to call, really like tony allen him. like trick or treat tony like that's what dennis schroeder is like if he's awesome they're gonna win game seven if he stinks it's gonna be hard for him to win game seven yeah he's one of my least favorite players because like you'll see the good like he's so quick to the basket he gets to the rim really well like lou williams like you could see why he's a great six-man scorer but then like every other play he's just like out of control and like throws it to the other team and like i as i'm rooting for oklahoma city and, like, I, I don't like him having the ball, and I love when Chris Paul has the ball because I know this is totally under control. It's like a, like a driver, like a NASCAR driver who's, like, completely in control of his instrument versus, like, a drunk driver. I don't want to be the passenger seat in a drunk driver. 
It is like that. And as we've seen more as the series has gone on, like Shea Gilchrist Alexander has a chance to be a pretty good player in this league. But like I've said, the, I've said this to you privately, but like one of the things about playing Houston is it, I, I think it's tough to judge guys about their individual defense because like against Houston, you just spend so much time out on the island. Like you're just an ISO against everybody. Like you're an ISO against Eric Gordon. You're an ISO against Harden. You're an ISO against West, Russell Westbrook. So if you're not an amazing on-the-ball defender and maybe you're a better team defender, like, you're going to get exposed. And so Shea Gilgis-Alexander has had a tremendously rough series on the defensive side of the ball. And, yeah, he made a huge shot in game three. But, like, he has not been great. Chris Paul has had three really, really good games, highlighted by game six, which was just, like, a classic CP3 performance. And he's had three really bad games. Dennis Schroeder's had three quite good – two really good games. And then he's had, like, three and a half bad games. Because he was pretty good in the first half of game five. But like, it's it's just just, like a gut thing for me because it's like I'm watching my wife and I, like, I don't think she's ever seen Lord of the Rings, the the original trilogy. Okay. Okay. This has gone a long way. So stay with me here. I'm I'm here. Let's hear it. So hobbits are different sizes from humans and, um, and wizards. Like, they're all different sizes, trolls and stuff. And so when you see them in the same shot together, it looks like kind of funny and intentionally so. Like, hobbits are like, you know, two feet shorter than. The, the big humans or Gandalf or something. And um, this game, sometimes when Schroeder's playing against Harden and trying to guard James Harden, it he looks, looks like so that. so small. It yeah. looks like a Photoshop, like error. He like really he's small. just like so thin compared to how thick and big Harden is. And I'm like, I'm for Harden, you know, who's like so strong and like, he must be licking his chops at like this little guy guarding. It was funny. Like they, so we'll talk about, Lou Dort, I guess, right? Because so Lou and Lou Dort, Dort had, is that yeah. If there's a different species, he's in that hardened species. Right. So, so Dort had in game five. Dort had one of the worst like games possible. Right. He shoots. He takes the most shots on the Thunder. Shoots three for sixteen over nine for three. First half of game six play uh, is also having a, just a terrible game. Picks up three quick fouls. Actually, I thought the fouls were a, a kind of a godsend for Oklahoma City in game six. They they end up winning game one hundred four one hundred just in case anybody missed it on Monday night. But, like, Dort comes out of the game. They have to play Darius Baisley, who actually has some really good minutes for them. Terrence Ferguson played awful in the minutes that he played in game six. But, like, like Lou Dort in the second half, Houston's going on a run. And then somehow Lou Dort finds a way to go on his own little, like, eight-point run where he has a layup that he just threw over his head and went in. And then he makes back-to-back threes. And, like, him making shots swings the series because, like, Houston just doesn't want to guard him. I'm curious if you have any idea – for how Lou, Dort, how much love Lou Dort has got? Do you have any idea what his net rating is in this series? He, he has been like a conquering hero. Um, the media loves him, of course, making him a big deal. Uh, I would guess his net rating. I don't know because we talked about this. Like Houston point differential has been way ahead. For no, it's year. not. But it, but it's like offensive rating. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, okay. It. So I'll, you're leading me into the direction that he's been negative, <laughs> but um, I'd say he's. <laughs> minus two i don't know no he is minus 36 his offensive rating has been 72 and his defensive rating is 108 so it's not even like he's been a tremendous defensive player like and here's the thing a lot of that's the fact that they got blown out in game five and he played so bad right because last night he or uh monday night like he was he wasn't good right he turned the ball over a ton like but he ends up shooting five for nine and he ends up making enough shots to kind of swing the series back and give them a, a third guy making shots. Cause Gallinari was, was quite good on Monday night, really good in the first half when they needed it. And Chris Paul was good. And then Lou Dort is their third leading scorer. And like, if that happens, it's, it's, 
you know, the, the two games that he shot well, they've won. And, and I, I wonder, like, if I'm Houston, because we're going to talk about Russell Westbrook, but, like, if I'm Houston, I guess I got to go down with that ship, right, Zan? Like, if Lou Dort makes five threes and we lose the game, like, what do you, what do you say, right? Like, you just have to play that way. Like, you don't want Chris Paul just, like, mid-ranging you to death in a close game at the end of the game because he's so good at that. So, like, well, it's like all of Oklahoma City. Like, I, Shea Gildas Alexander, his three-point shooting's okay, I guess, statistically, but it he's still looks re- bad to me. really not been very good. Yeah, Steven Adams obviously can't shoot. Um, so it's really Gallinari. It's like your only, like, true good shooter. And Chris Paul is more comfortable in the mid-range, obviously. And I think Houston in general would, like, love this kind of style where it's like you can take threes with your bad shooters and take a lot of mid range and we'll just jack up threes with average <laughs> shooters. And we like our numbers. Lou Dort is, this is actually amazing, right? So Lou Dort is seven for 38 from three, right? Which is, I, I'm surprised he's made seven, but obviously he made four in one game or something. So, so Lou Dort is seven for 38 from three. That's 18.4%. Good shooter, Eric Gordon Mr. Like great shooter going to swing the series for the Rockets eight for 43, 18.6%. So like, it's fine, I guess. Right. Cause Eric Gordon can't make an open shot to save his life. I, yeah. I don't, I know you hate Lou Dort. Like your favorite, you love James. Oh, Harden. I, I, I don't, him. it's like a parent, like, you know, I don't, I don't hate, I, I don't hate Lou Dort. It's just that this narrative that like Lou Dort is like this unbelievable Harden stopper is just untrue. Like it's just untrue. Like we'll get to Harden and, at the end of the game and, why Russell Westbrook? I, I, as somebody, you know, somebody rooting for Oklahoma City, mostly just to, you know, troll you. Um, I like Lou Dort out there. Yeah, he's he's fine. He's fine. yeah. I mean, because he's like, look, he, when he shoots a three, it like, I it doesn't make me think there's no chance of it going in. It's not what. Like, I swear, I watch it and I'm like, I you know, there's a there's a 25 percent chance of it going in. Oh, 25 percent, but. <laughs> I don't mind him out there. I if I was like them, I my favorite lineup is CP3 Dort as the hardened stopper, you know, slower. Yeah, I guess Gilgis Alexander and then Gallinari and I guess Adams. Although I do really like when they have Noel in there because he's just so fast. That I, I don't I have I don't have this data in front of me, but that lineup's been I think the hardest lineup for them to score with Russ back is that Adams Dort three guard lineup because. They just don't have a ton of spacing because you only, like you said, you you don't have Gallinari on the court, right? And then Schroeder's like an okay three-point shooter, not great. SGA, okay three-point shooter, not great. Chris Paul is a good three-point shooter, but it's not really what he does. So like, I just, Yeah, I'd like to see him play Noel more. I mean, like I'm a big New Orleans Noel stand, but like this is a guy like a center who legitimately is comfortable guarding you, perimeter and he poked the ball out a couple of times. He, he's sometimes he's out of control. One time he was trying to dribble it up the court and, yeah, and predictively it threw it away. Well, let, let's talk about Houston's issues at the moment, right? So Russell Westbrook, like I said, he seemed okay in game five. It didn't really matter. Game six, he was just not good. Like his timing's not there. You can tell. Uh, I, I actually thought there was a chance. I can't remember what the play was. He he ended up having a turn. He turned it over with like four minutes to go and it was a TV timeout. And I texted somebody and I was like, I know they're not going to do it, but they might need to consider taking Russ out of the game just because he had been so poor, like in terms of his yeah. passing. And I was saying to you that like, when you're a great athlete, you're used to being able to get to spots, right? So he's trying to get his timing back in the midst of a series when he's clearly not quite as explosive as he was. So everything is like a half step slow and it's off and he's throwing the ball over the court. He's throwing it out of bounds, like whatever. But then we get the last two minutes of the game, a game they, they really should have won. Like, like Houston should have won the game. Harden doesn't touch it 
any of their last possessions, except when they're down four and he shot a corner three to end the game, it didn't matter, even though Lou Dort contested it for some reason, which is like the only thing you shouldn't Stopper. do. Yeah, exactly. Wanted to make sure Harden's numbers went down. But like Russ has two turnovers, an air ball and a missed layup. On the layup, he got hit in the mouth. They missed it. It's fine. That happens. Like Houston, I think, has had a tough whistle at the rim for sure. But like you just can't go that many possessions without Harden touching the ball. And And one of the things you mentioned, you thought Harden was tired, but did you hear Chris Webber give the staff that game five was the first time in the Mike D'Antoni era that James Harden did not play 30 minutes in a game? That is insane to hear. Insane. Wait, James Harden didn't play 30 minutes? He did not play 30 minutes in game five. And according to Chris Webber, according to Chris Webber, genius Chris Webber, that was the first time in the Mike D'Antoni Rockets era that James Harden did not play 30 minutes in a game. Yeah, that's bizarre. And it was easy to kind of track the runs because minutes. it's like when Harden was out, you know, the Rockets would, you know, lose about six points. And then when CP3 was out, like, you know, Oklahoma City would lose about and, six And points. the difference was, right, Billy Donovan, so they take CP3 out in the fourth, and cp is like cooking, right? They take him out with like six minutes to go. Houston immediately goes on a run. They go on like a 10-1 run. And then after the media, they put Chris Paul right back in, whereas in the third quarter, Houston's on a run. They take Harden out. Oklahoma City goes on a run, and they don't put Harden back in until the 10-minute mark in the fourth quarter. And I think I texted you like, man, I was upset about that Harden sub, but like maybe he said he needed it. I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah, he he did look either he was, you know, it's hard. Look, I mean, like, it's hard for Harden where it's like either he's just tired or, you know, obviously they're a better team with Russell Westbrook. Maybe they they are right now. No, but I mean, like, like you said, like, it's hard – you're working a guy in who's really maybe not 100%, like, you know, he's not in rhythm, and it's like, do we defer to him? Do we try to get him involved? Like, we kind of have our rhythm right now without him. And so, like, I would almost say, like, maybe his best role right now, if he's not 100%, is just, like, just save him for when Harden's resting and just yeah, let him run just, the offense. And, and, you know, in game five, they sort of, like, integrated him early, and he had a lot of touches in the first, like, four or five minutes of the game, and they just kind of let him go to work and then Harden, you know, made shots when he needed to. Right. Cause here's the thing. We know we're getting 37 and seven from James Harden. Like that's just like, that's like the baseline. Right. And so in game seven, we'd assume we're getting that. I would, I would assume we're not going to get 20 something turnovers from the Rockets in game seven. Like they turned it over 22 times on Monday night. They shot 34% from three. Like that's not enough. You, you, you can't give away that many possessions and also not shoot it well from three. I would assume they're going to shoot right around 35% from three again in game seven, which will be Wednesday night. So like my assumption is you've got to feel okay about the Rockets because yes. they're not going to change the way they play, right? Like they're going to play the exact same way, but you would expect them to not turn it over quite as much. And that was one of the bigger differences in the game is like, it felt like every time Houston had a chance to pull away, they just had like two terrible turnovers in a row and it let Oklahoma city have life. And then they got some life from the Lou Dort little spurt. And then Chris Paul did the rest. And I just think I'm not going to say that I'm confident in Houston winning because I'm certainly not, but their favorite, their five point favorites. I think that's a little bit high, but I I got it. You got to feel okay about Houston because Monday night just seemed very out of sorts for them. It just seemed like Russ was trying so hard. It seemed like it just wasn't there. And I think they're going to watch film and they're going to be like, all right, guys, we missed a lot of open shots. We had a lot of terrible turnovers, which were just they, – they had – I mean, Zan, they, they had like 10 passes that were just like simple passes to the corner that guys just like didn't catch or they just threw it in the wrong spot. That Ironic, ironically, it kind of reminds me of um, Golden State-Houston, that famous series, which went seven. And everyone's like, oh, Houston was so close to winning the series, you know, 50-50 series. 
And then you look at like the point differential, like every game Houston won was close and then Golden State would blow them out. And it's, suggest that Golden State was just better and they got unlucky in a few games. And, and Chris Paul didn't play game six or game seven of that series either. So that's another uh, thing to consider. <laughs> but same thing here in the sense of like, I, I'm pretty confident Houston's, you know, if they played a hundred times, they'd win 65. 65. That yeah. seems about right. That seems about right for sure. And, and every time Oklahoma City wins, it's like a surprise. It's like they pull, you know, like this close game out and it's, it's hard and it could happen. You know, let's say there's a 20, 30% chance it can happen. It's not like impossible, but um, I definitely think Houston's just like a better team right now. Here's the thing. We both said this, like, and, and if I was a clip guy, I'd put this in, but like we both said, like without Russell Westbrook, these teams are pretty even. Like Chris Paul's really good. Oklahoma City is an awesome team. They're very good down the stretch. Like they don't make mistakes because Chris Paul is as good as he is. But like we both said that like, if you picked Oklahoma City in this series, like there is nothing wrong with that. The difference in these two teams with Russ not at full strength is is not big. And so, you know, you would hope that Houston ends up winning game six because like they're just the better team and they deserve an extra chance to close it out, I guess. But like they didn't take care of business. And now, like you said, it's you got one game. And- well, and it's not even like a better team. It's like Harden, Harden is, is just, just like better. really good. And like okay. the sort of the feel, as I said, like – rooting against Houston. I'm like, I don't want the ball in his hands. I'm like, Westbrook has it. Great. Jeff Green's going to go one-on-one. Great. Anytime Harden has it, you're just terrified. It is, it is amazing. Like, and this is another series. Like if they lose game seven on Wednesday night and it'll be, it'll suck. Right. Cause if they lose Mike Antonio's getting fired, Daryl Morey's getting fired. Cause like you, you can't lose and have Russ play as bad as you did in game six and have Tilmer Furtado not be like, you forced this Russ trade on us and it didn't work. And, the, and what I would say here is that they got a little unlucky. He was clearly injured. And like, why would you fire the guy that did this when like you're stuck with these two contracts anyway? And, and I understand how crazy that sounds, but like Houston's quite good. And like, they, they deserve, in my opinion, like you're going to fire Mike D'Antoni and you're going to fire Daryl Moore. You're bringing somebody else and the team's going to stink because they're going to play a different style and it's just not going to work. Right. Well, I don't even know if they'll fire D'Antoni because his contract's up. Oh, right. They don't have to fire him, I guess. They don't have to fire him, but I think it's almost time. It's just like, you know, it's like a stale relationship because Mike D'Antoni's the big enough name. He's going to get a big contract. If he wants to coach somewhere. Yeah, for sure. Right. And if you're Houston, maybe you're a little think you need to change of pace and also, like you have Harden, you have this small ball team. You don't really need a coach's heavy hand. You don't really need to pay a coach $5 million a year. So maybe it's better for him to go get money somewhere else. All right. So let's talk about Mike D'Antoni. If they lose this, if they lose game seven on Wednesday night, so D'Antoni will have lost in the conference semis twice, the conference finals once, and the first round of the playoffs once. His record in the playoffs will be one game over 500, one game under 500 if they lose with. In his entire career, he's 49 and 49. Uh, no, he's 52 and 52 right now. But his time in Houston, what was their record this year, Zan? He was 55 uh, and 27, 65 and 17, 53 and 29. And then this year, I think they were like 44 and 25 or something. Like, I don't know if that's right. I yeah, I mean, it's up. clearly not a problem. I mean, their biggest problem is that they ran into Golden State a few times. Right. Um, yeah, they were 44 and 28 this year. So this is a guy that's won at an extremely high level in Houston. And it is probably over if they lose on Wednesday night. And again, here's what and I'll say. I think, I know what say it's not to interrupt you, sorry, but I think it's almost good for him to get, you know, more control somewhere else because it's such like a Daryl Morey-led team. It's such a Harden-led team. 
And like, did you notice on that one of the last plays where you know Westbrook choked it up, you know, trying to get the ball to Harden or yeah, he didn't have like the ball? A, no, he threw it to Daniel House. <laughs> like that was so like an off balance pass. And afterwards, Dan Tony was asked about it, and he said. The, you know they're trying to get the ball hardened at some point and then goes that's the, the setup those guys wanted so it kind of shows you like he doesn't have a lot of control over this team Ooh, uh, they've been doing that thing like the, and not to like i don't like to exit on a ton on here because it's not really worth it when i can't like you, you can't see what i'm saying really but like they 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 bring the ball up the court they pitch it to one of the wings and then they do that little weave where harden gets it as somebody's coming across so you have to make a decision there's some like action and there's false action on the back side and you have to make a decision on how to guard harden and if you do it that way you get a lot of movement and then harden's not so stagnant right because when he walks the ball up the court they get really slow like the air gets way out of the ball and then it's on harden to do everything to try to get an open shot and chances are you get one look right like Maybe he beats Dort off the dribble, or maybe Harden just decides to dribble the air out of the ball and shoot a three to win the game. And that's not a great play for him. Like, it's it's okay, right? It's fine. A Harden three-point shot is good. But, like, that's what they want to do. And Russ just was so out of sorts. Like, he was so sped That one air ball he shot was one of the worst shots I've ever seen. He shot was... a nine-footer from 12 feet away. Like, what the – And it wasn't like, even cl- – it didn't even hit the net, and I don't he, think. Here's what I would say about Russell Westbrook. He is – among the greatest competitors like we've ever seen. Like he is going to come into game seven and my hope is that he comes into game seven and you know, he's going to play a hundred miles an hour, but my hope is like maybe Dan Tony, you know, like when you, you were in go-karts and like you were a kid and like they put a governor on your car. So like you couldn't go over a right. certain speed. Like that's what we need for Russ to, to it, it, as yeah. the game goes on. Like we just need him to kind of like rein it in. Cause there's good Russ and then there's the rest we saw in the second half where it was like, man, it felt like he was trying to keep Oklahoma City in the game. Like every time he, Houston- needs, he needs to like, and that's the kind of Russell Westbrook I was hoping he'd get this season. And he, he did a better job than I thought. He was really good for two months. Yeah. He was really, really good for two months. But he, it's almost like instead of going for 30, 10, and 10 at night, just be like, hey, I'm going to score 15, just like sort of garbage baskets. Give me 15, stuff. 12, and 8. 15, 12, yeah. and 8. Like that's it. And, like, and just be like the glue guy, you know, be like run around like a crazy person with energy and, and, um, and don't touch the ball too much. And, and there is some chance, right? There is some chance that Houston just shoots 55% from three and wins yeah, the I, I think I would say I would not only pick Houston, I would probably pick them with the spread. I, I just think that, you know, the math is on their side. You know, Harden's going to have one of those like 44, you know, talking about Donovan Mitchell getting 50. We're like due Harden for. Harden could have like 48 easily. It, it's, it's, it's amazing to me how, good James Harden has been in this series and how little publicity it's getting. Like he has, <laughs> I disagree with that. He he I, hasn't played that well. I'm sorry. What are you talking about? Are you serious? He he's, he's like he's tied three, three against them. Uh, no, no. I, I mean, I, I'm just, yeah, they are right. But like, okay. Donovan Mitchell's averaging like 39, five and five and they're tied three, three. It doesn't mean that Harden hasn't played well. Like, what I is mean, Harden, Harden averaging this series? Do you, do you know off the yeah, head? Yeah, 32, 7, and 8. And one well, and that's why he's not playing that well because he averaged 36 in the regular season. He's down to 32. Well, the, okay. What do you think the pace was for them in the regular season? <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's my the, point. Like, you can't it's, – it's, I'll look it up real quick. So, in the regular season, their pace was 
they were averaging 103, 104 possessions, and now they're down to 100. So, like, it's a couple less. But you, you can understand why the media is not glorifying well, when he's down. In I, just think if, game. I just think if you watch the games, like, Houston is drawing dead, like, when he doesn't have the ball. It's, like, it's like freaking amazing. Like, he's in the game, like you said. Like, I, I would be very curious what – I mean, his net rating is plus 20. Like, it's far and away the best of anybody's in the series. And, and again, like, we've gone super long in Houston, but, like, and I, I love going long in Houston because there's such an interesting group of guys in Oklahoma City. Like, good on Billy Donovan, too. Like, pulling Steven Adams. Like, going back to Lou Dort. Like, playing Darius Baisley. Like, they've done a lot of good things. But it's like, if Harden just plays 40 minutes and just has, like, a 42-10-10, and 10, like, there's no way Oklahoma City can win, right? Like, they, they yeah, basically – I mean, him to just I'm already looking that. ahead. Like, I think you – I, think you're I right. don't know about that. I don't think you can do that. I really don't. Well, I'm thinking Houston's such an interesting team, and I would love to see them against the Lakers, who are more traditional – um, and to see what happens. Cause I'm not like, again, I got a 75% chance Houston wins. I don't think you think it's 75%. I, I think so. I, I would be very it's... surprised if Oklahoma city won and in a good way I'm rooting for them. But, um, I just, I think it's, it would be a big upset. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't, <laughs> in a close game, if it's close, then I think it's 50, 50. I know that sounds dumb. Yeah, but, no, no, no. I know what you're, I know what you're yeah. saying. Like there's a range of outcomes. Right. And so right. Like, like, and I don't see Oklahoma city. Like winning. You're, you're saying if it's like plus or minus five points, Oklahoma city has a 50% chance to win the game. If it's plus yes. or minus 10 points, Houston, right, wins exactly. 90% of the time. That's, a, that's, that's, the the last dumb Ken, that's the last dumb Kenny Smith thing I want to say is that he said, um, he has a rule about basketball. And this is the guy who was in. Oh, this was, this was so bad. I was watching this. Interviewing for head coaching jobs. He said, if the lead is under five, then you shoot twos. And if it's over five, you shoot threes. I'm like, ay, ay, ay. This is when, this is similar to like, I don't, you're not really, you don't really watch baseball much anymore, but like Alex Rodriguez does something on baseball on ESPN and he did last year. I don't know if he's doing it this year, but he made a comment about how like uh, you wanted to have an even run lead more than an odd run lead because if you have an even run lead you can't give up the lead by a solo homer or a grand slam and it was like that might not I don't even remember if that was a quote maybe it was like you like a it was like a three-run homer or something doesn't beat you it was like the dumbest thing I've ever heard and it was like well yeah you get math like but you just want to be winning by as much as possible like that's just it, like, and and you understand because all these guys are like born and bred into the sport and they hear these old cliches over and over again and then they think it's like gospel but like and it takes like outsiders even like dumb ones like us like being like this is the way they're doing things is not right yeah all right here's this is just what he said i just want to read this too because this is like so amazing his exact quote was you want even run leads versus odd leads. Why the solo home run doesn't tie it and the grand slam doesn't beat you. And then he said, keep it simple. <laughs> I mean, like, these guys are unbelievable, man. Like Kenny Smith, the, the, the inside the NBA guys, let's talk about that for a second. But well, they just like, and they're so they're, great, right? They're, they're awesome. great to watch. They're so much fun. But if like, we have to hear about like their experiences are informed by their own experiences I mean, their analysis is informed by their own experiences, but Charles, you know, playing in the 80s, it might be slightly different now. Like, think yes. about how much time this, has passed. This was the same guy that said Golden State couldn't win titles because they were yeah. too much of a jump shooting team. And, like, obviously, yes, the 73 win team lost, and LeBron had an amazing series, Kyrie had an amazing series. They blew a 3 1 series lead, whatever. But, like, there was no scenario where Charles was ever right about Golden State right. and them being, like, too much of a jump shooting team. And they always say this, like, they, they bash Houston so much, 
And it's crazy because they love Harden. Like, they talk about Harden like he's the best. Like, Chuck said he was the best one-on-one player he's ever seen, right? Like, I I mean, that is a great compliment. But then they just criticize. It's like Chris Paul, as good as he is, right, and he was amazing on Monday night. Like, he was incredible down the stretch. It's like he has three terrible games and three good games, and we only ever hear about Chris Paul, like, when he plays well. It's like when he plays bad, it's like, oh, his playing style. I don't don't know about it. Chris Paul, though. I mean, I, he's it's, annoying. It is. It is amazing. It's But, like, for a six-foot guy, not even. He's short of the six years feet. in the league and be a star. Like, him to be 35 and to make shots like he did down the stretch last night, like, it was... Well, it and was, that's why, like, I understand that, like, like rooting for the mid-range and people like watching Chris Paul and Carmelo, the old-school guys, but I'm like, it's more impressive to watch because you have to get separation. It's a lot of one-on-one. And he doesn't even get, he doesn't even really get like amazing separation. No, like, but it's like, it's more surprising to see guys work like that than, you know, PJ Tucker hitting a yeah. wide open corner three. And, and to be totally fair, uh, watching PJ Tucker work against like bigger players is if you're just like a basketball purist, right? If you're Shaq or Kenny Smith or, or Charles Barkley, like watching PJ Tucker just put his body on the line is like, amazing like that guy battles so hard and he just takes so much punishment and it's like daniel house is a little bit like him but not quite as tough i don't think but he like, played really well though yeah i mean both both teams these teams are good man like this is yeah. why like this is why like when people criticize like basketball teams and styles and stuff and like say like you have to play a specific way like you don't like i, I would play like houston does i think it's the best way to play but like watching like Honest to God, like, I've been very critical of Lou Dort and what people have talked about him, but, like, watching a rookie, like, get on the court and, like, try to guard the best one-on-one score in the NBA and, like, that being a situation for him that, like, is really giving Oklahoma City some life, like, even if he's not a great defender, he hasn't done as good a job as everyone says, like, the Thunder clearly believe in him, and it's been a huge part of them being able to take this series to seven games, and, like, that to me is, it, it's fun, man. Like, it's super fun, man. It really is to me. I, I mean, maybe I'm a nerd. I <laughs> no, I, I mean, and this is Oklahoma City, you know, who most people didn't have in the playoffs. Um, you know, obviously they blew it up, and then they just, like, zombies continuing to live. Uh, it'll be, I just hope for one of these two game sevens, we have, like, a game-winning shot, a series-winning shot. That would be great. One of the two, even, I'd be satisfied. Yeah, I don't know if we'll have a game-winning shot. I would expect to see two good games, though. I don't, I just don't, like... You're talking about Houston being able to like blow him out and like, yeah, maybe, maybe Eric Gordon remembers that he's like a good shooter. Like maybe PJ Tucker makes like five threes. I don't know. I just don't see it, man. Like I think these two teams are close. Like I think Oklahoma city is physical with them. I think Oklahoma city has a good style that they've got their rotations like relatively down. They know how they want to play. Like I just don't see Wednesday night's game being a blowout. I don't, I think it's going to be close. I think Houston, as I said before, I was clumsily explaining it, but like Houston has more blowout potential because it's like, for sure, for sure. Daniel house can go four for six from three, you know, but like Lou Dort's not going to do that. You know, Ferguson's not going to do that. We think he's not going to do that. We think he's not going to do that. Um, Or whoever. Um, all right, well, let's get to the – what else is it? All right, so we got two first-round series in the East. We're going to talk about them real quick. Toronto and Boston. Second-round series. Sorry, yeah, what did I say? Sorry, second-round series in the East. Uh, Toronto and Boston. Boston blows out Toronto on Sunday. Uh, was rather surprised at that result. It was never really close. Like, Toronto never really got back in the game. Uh, I just – real quick, like, your thoughts on uh, – Yeah, I didn't have real strong takeaways. Like Neither did I, to be honest with you. There was you. nothing to watch that I'm like – there's a reason for this other than, you know, some teams play better one night. It's like, I, 
I thought Boston was going to win this series, but there's nothing about game one that makes me like reinforce that or makes me change my mind about that or the fact that it's going to be a very tough series. Yeah, I mean, they shot it super well from three, shot it super well from two, 17 or 21 from the foul line. Felt like Toronto just really shot under expectation, 37% from the field, 25% from three. I think Boston's a quite a good defensive team. We know this, but like to expect Toronto to shoot it that poorly the rest of the series and not make adjustments, I think is foolish. Uh, I, I would say, like, think it's important for Toronto to win. I mean, obviously win maybe next game even because it's like momentum's you don't believe in it, but I do, I, not, I do not believe in it. I think Toronto has been like running on this sort of like momentum and steam and like this sort of belief in themselves. And if it gets shaken, I don't know, it could get, they could lose two or three. I mean, they basically had like Siakam and Fred Van Vliet played about as poorly as we've seen those two guys play in a, in a calendar year, pretty much. So like, I, I wouldn't be, if I was a Toronto fan, I wouldn't be, too concerned i would be a little concerned that they weren't better defensively you know they they are so deep on the wing and like it felt like boston got what they wanted pretty easily so it is possible that maybe they're feeling good about their scheme but i I would expect as we see game two tuesday night that that we'll see a much closer game i would expect to see toronto make some adjustments and they're definitely going to shoot the ball better so i wouldn't assume that this is going to be you know, somebody rolls, but yeah, like, you know, if you're Toronto game two is, it's not like a must win, but like, you want to make sure that like, you feel good about what you're doing on the court, I think, because you go down 2-0 and you got to try to really drastically change things up. Like this isn't really a team that's like equipped to come from behind in games. So mm-hmm. you got to make sure that you're ready to, you know, you got to stop Jason Tatum. Like you, you can't just have him go for 20. Like Marcus Smart goes for 20, makes five threes. I wouldn't expect to see that again, but like, you got to make sure that you are hurting Boston for not having Gordon Hayward, right? You got to make sure that they don't get production from those ancillary guys. And also from Toronto's perspective, like they're put together really well. They're really well coached. They have a lot of winners, a lot of veterans, obviously. Siakam like really needs to be a star, you know? He does. He does. does. Like it's hard to win a title if you don't have a top 10 guy. And I don't even know if Siakam's top 20, you know, like I, it's, yeah, it's I, I was laughing. Do you buy into the credence that, like, credence might not be the right word, but, like, do you buy into the idea that, like, a team like Toronto and a team like Milwaukee are very deep and have, like, a lot of contributors, but in the playoffs, like, you can't really win that way? Like, you need to have, like, five, six, seven, like, dudes that are going to play 30 minutes a night yeah. and, like, you just win with studs? Like, is that – do you buy yeah, that sure. theory? Yeah. I mean, like, and talk about, like, your – in the playoffs, your eighth man, ninth man, like I don't care how good they are because they're not playing. So, but Toronto, um, they are playing, and Milwaukee, yeah. they are playing. I mean, I don't think I don't think that's the right way to go. Like for Milwaukee, we'll talk about them, but like sort of like the three-headed monster, like shooting guard or four-headed monster. I'm like, I'd rather just have one guy who's pretty good <laughs> than a bunch of guys who are like below. You'd rather average. just say, all right. Let's talk about Milwaukee for a second. I, I would say this real quick. Last thing on Toronto, I'm not concerned. I would expect this series to go at least six games. I don't think. I, I don't think if you felt like Toronto was going to win, I wouldn't panic about game right. one. I, I would not panic based on that. It's like a, you know, we'll see. Um, there's nothing like alarming. No, I mean, I, they shot it. They, they shot it so poorly. Like the, the idea that you're going to win games where you shoot under 40% from two and under 30% from three against good NBA playoff teams. It's just not going to happen quite all that often. Well, especially with, you know, when they in Boston, well. we said before Boston's really good. They're really good. Coming off a sweep. They weren't getting a lot of attention, oddly, for you know a big market team like that. But hey, they're a top six team, top five team. 
All right, last uh, game one of Milwaukee and Miami was Tuesday night preceding Houston and Oklahoma City. Miami played awesome, about as good as they could possibly play. Miami wins 115 to 104. Uh, Not a great game from Giannis. Jimmy Butler was spectacular, 40 points on 20 shots. Not something you'd expect from Jimmy. Uh, Bam, 12 and 17. Goran Dragic, 27 on, on 15 shots. And then obviously the, the bigger concern, I think, was that Giannis, you just get 18, 10, and 9. Seems like amazing. To say Four for 12 from the line. Good. Yeah. Four for 12 from the line. Here is my thing on the Bucks. As I have said, I was concerned. Eric Bledsoe did not play on, on uh, Monday night. I would not be super concerned about this if I was a Bucks fan. Now, I think they are going to panic, but like just just for example, like they shot 16, uh, I'm sorry, they shot 14 for 26 from the foul line. In the game they lost by nine. So they're going to shoot better from the foul line. Like Giannis may not shoot it more than 50% for the rest of the series, but like, you know, leaving 12 points a line, losing a game by nine, like the, the situation was never really in doubt. It was a close game, but like, Milwaukee is going to be able to look at film and see like, okay, these are the mistakes we made. They didn't have Giannis guard Jimmy Butler at all down the stretch, which I thought was quite surprising. I did think we'd see that at some point. And then they'll get Eric Bledsoe back, which will be a better thing defensively for them on a guy like Dragic and then on a guy like Jimmy Butler. And so like for Milwaukee, yeah, they lost game one. This is two series in a row. But like, I, I don't think this is all that indicative. I do think Miami is a bad matchup for them. I think Miami wants to play them. I think Miami thinks they're better than them. But I wouldn't necessarily panic just off one loss. I, I think this was right. more of an indictment on no blood. So they didn't shoot it well from the foul line. And then Miami had Jimmy Butler play arguably the greatest, the best playoff game of his career. And I wouldn't expect that to happen for three more times. I just wouldn't. Right. Like there's a lot of like sky is falling reaction. Yeah. Dondrick Ellison crowing about how he picked Milwaukee to lose in the East. Honestly, it's even, it's probably a good sign, right? That Chris Middleton had a good game. Like that's probably something you're excited to see. Yeah. Cause you were most worried about Chris Middleton. Um, yeah. He had 28, 12 for 24. I'm really, I haven't panicked about Milwaukee. I'm still not panicked about Milwaukee. Man, they struggle People tend to, you know, overreact to one game. Like, look, Milwaukee lost game one and then won one, four, one Lakers lost game one and they won four, one. Clip, yeah. Did Clippers lose game one against Dallas? They won game one. They lost game two. Game okay. So, but they were close. I mean, like it was a close game. Yeah. Yeah, and then they went. They won in six. So um, I'm certainly not panicked. I think Milwaukee did a couple of things that I liked. Obviously, um, I just like you know. Again, Jimmy, I agree with you. Jimmy Butler's not going to play shoot as well. He's not going to score as efficiently. And he was fantastic. Like he was as good as anybody yeah. was on. You know, like what you like. What I like about him is it's like a swagger thing. Like he it does. Is. Like even last year, he played really well in the playoffs. Um, in a weird situation in Philly, like he believes in himself, you know, sure. there's no, um, there's no con- crisis of confidence there. And then I also liked, um, they were attacking Milwaukee and Milwaukee had such a good paint defense all year. They were attacking with Dragic, attacking with Butler. And then I noticed like, maybe this is obvious. Maybe every team does this, but I was just noting it. Let's say, if they're different sides of the court, you just call them right and left. Or is there like a term for yeah, it? Different side. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah. Okay. Right and left side of the court. Um, so if Giannis was like guarding the rim on the right side, they would always have action going on the other side, the left side. Yeah. And, we, and that, like would, a, that would be your weak side action. The weak side action. There you go. Um, and they were doing that consistently and it was kind of limiting Giannis's ability to help. Um, so we'll see. I mean, you know. Buttonholzer does not have a great history in the playoffs. No, that that would be the one thing I would be sort of worried about is that we haven't seen him adjust great in the past. That's not been his. And also, story. I would worry about Bledsoe. You say you know he was out. 
late scratch they didn't know like hamstring strain right and that could stick with yeah you. that could linger you know or it could be a westbrook thing where he comes back you know 80 percent well the good news with that is if he comes back 80 percent like he's still going to do his job on the defensive end and not just muck up their offense because he doesn't have a humongous role on offense you know like it's just yeah they they need him i mean it's like a long-term concern i mean but i agree like the reason i picked milwaukee to win the series is like Jan. i trust Giannis. i think he's a notch better than jimmy butler if not two notches better they do though they really do they had crowder on him for a lot of the game who did a pretty good job but like they have crowder they have bam they have iggy they have uh jimmy butler like they got a lot of guys that they can throw at Giannis. this might i'm i'm not saying that we're not going to see Giannis throw up a freaking just easy 37 and 18 or something right. no i Wednesday. agree with like that it but happen. it should open should open the door for middleton to have a good series i mean i yes. wish they had another guy it's my whole you know i yeah. wish they had steve Nash or whatever I mean, Mo honestly Williams. i just they, you just wish they had malcolm Brogdon. seriously yeah. like i'm not that, joking like about that, that might be their sort of fatal mistake is resigning Bledsoe and not Brogdon. I will say this will be the last point that I make before we get out of here. But I, I, I'm curious: is it better for Milwaukee to have played, you know, like lose a game to Orlando, like lose a game to Miami, like wake up and realize, like, all right, we're in it, we're in a dogfight. Like, we got to figure out how to do this. If teams are going to no. wall up and make it really difficult on Giannis, if teams are going to make it hard for him to be as great of an impact help defender as he typically is, like. I, you know what? I think it's. I think it was good for the Clippers to get punched in the mouth because they're sort of like, yeah, Clippers like have the championship pedigree and they're sort of like an underachiever in a weird way. For Milwaukee, I think a lot of their you know aura is like this aura of unstoppability. Like we're the best team statistically. Giannis is MVP, and when they get punched in the mouth, we saw it last year. They lost four in a row. So. I worry about their confidence a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, they turned it like they turned it 19 times. They got crushed on the glass. They were minus 12 on the glass, which means obviously they didn't shoot it great. Like they did shoot it really well from three, which is, you know, obviously you wouldn't expect them to lose a ton of games where they shoot 45%, 46% three. But like, again, I, I do think. Does Milwaukee here, need like a dog? Like, I guess West West Matthews is like the sort of their tough guy. Do they need like a real tough Eric, guy to keep? I think it's in? supposed to be Eric Bledsoe. I honestly feel that way. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. They need Bledsoe back for sure. I do think they've done a decent job of like taking minutes away. Like Marvin Williams has played twenty minutes. He's probably going to play a bit less as the series goes on. Connington looks like he's getting somewhat back to normal, especially as like a little bit of a secondary ball handler. Like they need that for sure. <laughs> But again, we we called this. Miami is very good. Like this is going to be a tough series for Milwaukee to win. But I don't think anything in Game One was like, oh my god, like let's panic about Milwaukee. Right. I just don't. I just don't see that. Um, I guess that's it, really, for for right now. Lakers are probably just happy that Houston and OKC is going to seven. Whoever they play will be relatively exhausted. And any rest for LeBron and Anthony Davis is great. They were spectacular in the closeout on Sunday night. I mean, or Saturday night. Like as good as I've seeing those two guys play together. Uh, and then uh, other than that, I think that's it for, for us, right? We're going to be back, I think, on Friday, every yes. series in the first round. The, the boycott kind of screwed up our every two-game schedule, but hopefully we'll get back on track. Wildcat strike. Let's, let's, let's uh, be respectful. But uh, all right, so that's it. That's it uh, for us this time around. And uh, I, I'm, I'm fired up. Two game sevens, it's the best you can hope for. I hope we get more game sevens in the second round, right? Like, I hope. Do you want to do about 30, 40 minutes on hard knocks? Or no? 
I'm, I didn't see this week's episode. I can't. Okay. I can't do it. Next we'll do. Time, we'll time. do hard knocks on Friday because we'll need okay. something to talk about. Especially you know, if James Harden and the Rockets lose on Wednesday night, like I want to be in a bad mood anyway, so I'm not going to want to talk about basketball. So. Xandrick uh, Ellison at gmail.com. Email the show. He is Zan underscore Ellison on Twitter and uh, Zan underscore Ellison on Reddit. But as always, Zan, it is a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA show with your host, Tyler Laurie and Xandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news.